Temptation is real and it runs rampant in our world. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. We're going to continue studying the Babylonian exile, the book of Daniel, and how we must rise up as men and women who are living as God has called us to live. Thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and let's open up in prayer before we dive straight into our lesson. The precious Heavenly Father, as we're assembled together wherever we may be over time and space, Lord, I pray that as we come to contemplate the Holy Scriptures, to contemplate Daniel there in the Babylonian exile, I pray that you'll send your Holy Spirit to open up our hearts, our minds. Let us receive the wisdom and strength that you have in store for us. Lord, be with us in a world of uncertainty. Give us the joy, the peace that we need to endure. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. When we look at the world around us, temptation runs rampant. Sin is always crouching at the door. The carnal nature has a hungry desire to overpower us, to erode our character and take us away from God. And there are many people in the world who will be like Ashpenaz there from the book of Daniel who want to encourage us to defile ourselves. They'll come along and they'll actually try to comfort us and say, this is the good thing for you to do. And perhaps if that doesn't work, then they'll get manipulative and say, this is what you really need to do or else other people will suffer. But in the end, this is not what God wants for us. God wants us to have joy. And regardless of where we're at in this world, God wants us to have peace. Whether we're in a dark valley in time of great uncertainty or we're just at home with everything being normal, God wants us to have joy and he wants us to see the bigger picture of life in his creation. So there are going to be many people in our world who will encourage us to defile ourselves, but we must fortify ourselves against them and the endless enticement to sin. Temptation is real and it's very powerful. And even when we sin in our personal lives, it has a larger ramification in the world around us. As I've said many times before, with this coronavirus, the only possible origin of it is sin. Whether it's a tyrannical government who so curses their people that they're eating at a wet market, or it's a sinful tyrannical government that is outright making biological weapons, the origins of this are sin. And temptation is real, and whenever we indulge in sin, sometimes we see immediate consequences from that in the world around us. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes sin is clever, and it hides its deficiencies from the world. But nonetheless, there are deficiencies. There are things which are lacking. When they're put on the scales, they are wanting in things of righteousness. And we, as the people of God, we must rise above that. We live in a day and age where it is very easy to be depressed. It's very easy to be angry. And often we want to get so frustrated at the world that we just want to lash out. It's easy to be so angry at the world that we want to curse God and die. Even the prophets of old, we find those like Jonah, that when God comes to him, he says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah says, yeah, I do well to be angry. And in fact, I'm so angry, I'd rather die. We find others like Job, who his friends come to him, even his own wife, his own family says, why don't you just curse God and die? Give it up. And today, as we come back to the Babylonian exile, we find Daniel there with Nebuchadnezzar's chief, Ashpenaz, and he comes along and says, why don't you just curse God, bow down to Nebuchadnezzar and eat that royal ration? But Daniel says no. And where we left him last week, he took a stand, and this is one that would take some time. That's why we stopped there in verse 13. Daniel says, why don't you put me to the test? Why don't you take me and the other young men that, that are my friends, and those are the three that will later be referred to as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but now they're Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Those three young men, and they're with Daniel, they say, why don't we eat the Jewish diet, and if we're unhealthy in 10 days, then we'll see. But why don't you just put us to the test? Well, to God, the truth is, is God wants us to be blessed and experience joy, even when the world feels uncertain. 
Even for Daniel and his friends, God wanted them to be blessed and experience joy, even though everything around them felt so burdensome. God didn't send his son to die for us so that we would just feel the weight of the world and be depressed. God wants us to find joy even in a world that has fallen. Daniel took a stand that his traditional diet would be more than sufficient for him and his friends, and it would be more so than the royal food of Babylon. Now, the people of God, they had been taken to Babylon as captives against their will. And these youths, those like Daniel, you know, they had no choice in this. It's completely out of their control. They've been forced to serve in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar and Ashpenaz, Nebuchadnezzar's chief official. He had tried to convince these youths to eat a diet that would be pleasing to Babylon, even though it was unclean to God. Now, one of the fascinating things about Ashpenaz is his argument isn't that it's going to be unclean to God. It's just that it is good to Babylon. A lot of times the things of the world, they will sell it to us as it's just good. They'll be like the serpent there with Eve in the garden where she looks at the fruit and says, oh, it's good for food. Well, you know what? She's right. It probably is good for food, but that's not the full story. It's also the apple which contains the sin. It contains something darker, something which will be poisonous in the long run. Well, the same is true with Ashpenaz. He brings them something which he sells to them as bringing them health, but in the end, it will defile them. And everything really with the Babylonian exile, we do find it to be this constant battle between bowing down to this idol or that, people being torn away from what it means to be a, a man or woman of God, and they're put to the test by these different characters. Well, Ashpenaz, he's there trying to convince them to eat a diet that is pleasing to Babylon, and it's good for Babylon, but it's unclean to God. Well, Daniel, he takes a stand. He asked Ashpenaz and his Three friends, they come to Ashpenaz and they say, why don't you let us be tested for 10 days to see how our health will compare to those that ate the royal rations? So let us imagine that we are in this position. Let's just imagine that we're there in Daniel's position. Would we have the ability to say no to the royal rations? You know, so many times in life, we wish that we would have had the ability to say no to things, but yet whenever we're really there in those moments, it's actually very, very difficult. So I'm going to read now from our text today, and this is Daniel chapter 1. We're going to be going back a few verses. I want us to go back to Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. So we stopped last week at verse 13, but I want us to go back just a few verses to verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief official not to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief official. And the chief official said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should you see that you were in worse condition than the youth of your own age? Should there be a danger on my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief official had assigned over him, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youth that eat the king's rations be observed by you. And then deal with your servants according to what you see. So we listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And so... The steward took away their food and the wine that were, were given to drink, and he gave them the vegetables. In verse, 14, in verse 17, if I get the right verse there, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in literature and wisdom, 
And Daniel had understanding and visions of dreams. Now, at the end of this time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief official brought them in to be presented before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and all of them were found that there was none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding for which the king inquired of them, he found them to be ten times better than all of the magicians, the enchanters, that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now that last verse is tacked on there like it's not a big deal. What that means is Daniel's there for a very, very long time. That's, that's you know, uh, almost a, a full working career that you would be there after that. But what we find in that text is that Daniel, he takes a stand, and he is blessed when he takes that leap of faith, which really isn't a leap of faith in my opinion. I mean, the Jewish people have been living on the Jewish diet. We don't get a lot of details on what the king's rations are. I, I would assume they're simply something that is like pork, something that's against the cleanliness laws of God. Daniel says, look, just let us eat the Jewish diet, which there are vegetables and things involved in that. He says, just let us eat something that's compliant with that and see what happens. If we imagine ourselves in Daniel's position, would we have the ability to say no to these royal rations? So many unfortunate things had happened to the Jewish people. They had lost their kingdom. Their sacred vessels had been degraded and pillaged. They were made captives. And I don't know about you, but being a captive is probably not a pleasant thing. And in fact, when we look at history, captives, they don't live luxurious lives. In fact, they tend to be trapped in destitute conditions. And Daniel has no control over his captivity. He has no control over the fact that he's been forced into the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. So we can easily imagine that if you're a captive and captives eat, you know, very, very bad peasant food that's like worse than peasant food, he's, he's there, he's positioned in all this stuff, it would be really easy to be tempted to eat those royal rations. That'd be a very tempting thing if you're a captive. But if we were in Daniel's shoes... Would we even consider saying no to the royal rations? You know, it would be so easy to convince ourselves that God's law is no longer relevant because we are not in Jerusalem. You know, even when we are in a time of blessing and luxury, it's still very easy to convince yourself that God's law is irrelevant. We as people, we never want to hear that God's law is correct. We never want to hear that God's law is relevant in our lives. We always want to have some excuse. You know, oh, that's just someone else's tradition. You know, that worked for them, not for me. We always want to come up with some excuse that God's law is not relevant in our life. And if you're there a captive in Babylon, you've lost the temple. You know, this is a whole new thing to you. The Ark of the Covenant, it's missing. Where did it go? It would be so easy to convince yourself that God's law is no longer relevant. And especially when you bring in the, you know, social, the environmental factors around you. You've got Ashpenaz, the chief official. He's over here saying, oh, it's wonderful. You know, I'm here in the palace. It's great. Go ahead and eat it. And then when Daniel says no, he says, well, if you, you don't eat it, Daniel, he's going to kill me. You know, the manipulation comes out. You know, Daniel looks at not just the, the three friends he's got, but he looks at all the other youths. They're all eating it. There are only four of them that are even questioning this. It would be so easy to just go along with what the masses are saying. You know, the government says it's good. All of your friends say it's good. They're all doing it. It all seems wonderful. And that law that you're trying to live by, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments, they're gone. They vanished just a few moments ago. Give it up. Why are you holding to these old truths? The temptation is so easy to accept. It's always easy to accept temptation. But despite the great power that this tempting has, 
Daniel takes a stand. And not only does he take a stand, because in our world, we always like to act like we're being risky or we're being virtuous when there's never a cost. Like people will get on Facebook, they'll throw stuff out there. Celebrities will, will go out in their virtual signal when there's no cost. You know, we, we put out ads in our society that like basically tell men to be men, but it's always when it's like, put your seatbelt on. You know, it's always when it's something that actually doesn't take a risk. It's always something which kind of does the opposite of that. It's always something which is in the, the idea of safety or kind of emasculating yourself. It's never take a risk to actually rise to the occasion, step up to the plate. You're at the World Series. You're about to bat something that's going to change the outcome of the game. Nobody in our society tells us to take a risk when that's the case. We always say, oh, you don't want to be the church that opens up and something bad happens. You don't want to be the one who got out in the snowstorm and somebody fell down. Never take a risk if you actually have an ability to prove your faith in God. That's basically how our world is structured. But Daniel, he says, okay, I'll take you on, Ashpenaz. You say you're going to get decapitated if this works out badly. Okay, I'll accept that consequence. You say, we're all going to get punished. We're already captives. Life can get worse if you're already a captive. They've already found that out. They thought it was bad when Pharaoh Necho came, but then it got a lot worse when Nebuchadnezzar came. But Daniel steps up to the plate and says, I'm going to have a leap of faith anyway. We're the last, you know, last pitch here in the World, game, World Series. If this works out well, this will change the game. If this works out bad, well, I'm already a captive. I guess I'll now be a captive who's suffering and has the blood of someone else's hands on me. But Daniel takes a leap of faith when it actually matters and when the whole world wants him not to. And despite the great power of temptation, Daniel says no to it. And at the end of 10 days, after all those 10 days, you know, it's a little bit more of a week, some time to be stressed over that. At the end of 10 days, it was found that he and his friends were healthier than the other Jewish youths. Daniel, he had been blessed by his faithfulness. And we can be encouraged by how God's providence worked in his life. You see, the truth is, is that God wants us to be blessed. He wants you to be blessed. There's uncertainty in our world right now, like many of us have never seen. But nonetheless, God wants you to be blessed, and he wants you to have joy. When so many others, they're content turning away from God, they're content looking at these beliefs of the age, going along with the spirit of the age, going on with whatever's popular in the moment, whenever we say no to that, and there's something about the gospel which calls us to be a little bit of a contrarian with the world. We're not called to be conformed to the world. We're also not supposed to be contrary for the sake of that. We're supposed to be contrary for the sake of the gospel, which is naturally in conflict with the world. Nobody in human history has ever wanted to hear the law of God, or at least not it in full, which meant you've got to repent and you're not capable of bringing salvation to yourself. People generally don't like that. But the truth is, is that's who God wants us to be. God wants us to be blessed, even when there is uncertainty in the world, and even when so many others are content buying into the spirit of the age and turning from God. And we find that God is blessing Daniel in this. God had given Daniel favor in the sight of Ashpenaz. He gave him favor. He had people think highly of him, and that opened the door for an opportunity. And it was one serious opportunity. Daniel made use of this favor not to just get, you know, a little extra treat here and there now that he's a servant in the palace, not any sort of political gain like that. He actually uses this favor to take a real leap of faith that has real world consequences. He used this for the righteous reasons that God has called his people to be his people. Daniel made use of this favor to show the world that his face was in the God of Israel, not the king of Babylon. And at the end of 10 days, we find Daniel is 
done well to keep up his health. In fact, he looks better than those who went along with Ashpenaz's temptation to eat the royal rations. And in fact, God blessed them, and he blessed them in a way that we wouldn't have expected. Not only do they look healthier, but they're also wiser. It's interesting, you wonder if the wisdom came after that, or if it was actually the wisdom that was the prevenient grace making them make that decision. Who knows? But the story is what the story is. God blesses us when we say no to temptation. And oftentimes in life, we don't immediately see these blessings. Sometimes you got to wait a week. Sometimes you got to wait 10 days. Sometimes you will never see the end of those blessings in your life. And when I say end, I don't mean they come to an end. I mean, you won't even see what they look like. You won't see that final conclusion of how God wanted to take different things in our lives to a, a place of actualization, to realize them in the world around us. Sometimes we never see that. But nonetheless, whenever we structure our lives around God's teachings and his commandments, that is when we find life filled with joy. And joy is not something that is easily found. It always comes at the cost of investing in things that truly matter. Joy can only be found when we have persevered through life and we've gone through enough valleys to appreciate the beauty of God's creation. This oftentimes means we have walked through some things which suffer greatly. In fact, when I think about joy, and I want you to take a moment to ponder the things that bring us the most joy, we find that these are the areas of life that we have invested in, and they are the areas where we have loved others and we have walked through dark valleys. Dark valleys of temptation are going to appear in our lives, and we have to make a choice on how we will respond when we get into that dark valley moment. Whenever the valley of the shadow of death creeps up on us, we have to choose who we're going to be. We're all created in the image of God, and we all have the divine spark in us. Yet, at the same time, we're all either a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve, and that has corrupted us. And it's a corrupted sin nature that we were born with. When we look at the world and we interact with the world, we feel natural impulses. We have our natural taste, our natural things we like, the things which we, our mind is very interested in, the things that our mind's not so interested in. And it's all natural. We experience it all naturally. But the truth is, is that some of these things reflect the divine image that runs through our veins. And some of them are products of the fallen nature that we have inherited. And we don't always have a clear understanding of that by ourselves. That's why we have to look to the scriptures, why we have to be involved in the fellowship of the church. That's why we need the revelation of God in our lives to help us understand. What of those natural impulses do I have are sinful and wicked? And what of those natural impulses are the fact that I was created in the image of God? And you see, in life, we have choices to make. And whenever we get in those dark valley moments, that's when we've got to start making choices and, and it becomes very vividly clear. Sometimes when everything's luxurious, it's not so vividly clear how our choices are a spiritual matter. They are. But when we're in the dark valley, it's a lot easier to see that when, when you're suffering. When, when somebody's threatening you with their decapitation, it's a lot more clear those might be than if you're just somebody sitting in Jerusalem. But we don't always have control over the impulses that come. And this is one of the things where our world gets sin, and they don't understand human behavior as much as the secular world likes to pretend it does. We all are naturally sinful, and the impulses come, and we don't have control over what impulses come in our lives. But if we accept Christ as our Savior and we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, we are quickened to choose righteously. That doesn't mean the impulses won't be there. And that doesn't mean that there won't be a continuing path of sanctification where we will be renewed. And that regeneration that we had initially when we got saved, that that won't have a second work of grace that later comes to really transform us. But what this means is there are impulses that we have in life. 
they seem natural. They seem like they would feel good. And God's providence has told us that we must choose. God's providence is with us when we choose to act righteously and make decisions that line up with the divine image. The more we live Christ-like lives, the more God's providence brings blessing into our world. And the more we indulge in the sin nature and give in to the temptations, the more that we find chaos and suffering filling in our world. And that's just how it is. The more we choose the divine image, the more we find righteousness, the more we find blessing. That doesn't mean that suffering is not going to be there. That doesn't mean the world's going to like us. In fact, the world will probably hate you the more you choose the Christ-like choices. The world is always like Ashpenaz, encouraging you to get into the chaos and suffering. Now, the book of Daniel, it does give us great encouragement on this topic. It reminds us that God wants to bless us when the whole world around us seems to be filled with chaos and suffering. The more we say no to temptation, the more we find that God's grace has been a blessing to us, even in unseen ways. Often it takes time for us to see how God's hand of providence has been active in our lives, and sometimes we're never made aware of it. But nonetheless, it's there. And nonetheless, the more that we pursue Christ-likeness, the more we are able to find joy in a world that constantly invites us to embrace the chaos. So as we close, I want us to say the Lord's Prayer together. And as we pray it, I want you to be thinking about how we can find the joy in life in the midst of chaos. So let us pray the prayer that we were taught to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And on that note, God love you and have a blessed day.